You guys can go ahead and have a seat. It's good to be gathered together and to to worship together with you here today. I want to welcome you guys to church. Thanks for coming on out. In our first service, we do a service before this at 9 o'clock. We started the service with the old hymn, Victory in Jesus. How many of you know that song? Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. And I was remembering that when I was a little kid, so I got a lot of these, mem- I got a lot of these hymns memorized. You know what I mean? They just kind of come back to me when we sing them and everything. And I think it's because when I was a little kid, before I was really even able to read in the hymnal, I was just hearing people sing and kind of getting the words, and I'd be you know, standing up on the pew and whatever and just singing out or whatever. And my mom reminded me that that particular song she told me this years ago, but that particular song, I used to sing that one out really loud. But she said, Aaron, you would sing it like this. You would sing, oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He shot me and bought me with his redeeming blood. <laughs> and uh, didn't quite have it all down, but you know, I was, I was kind of learning the, the words back then. So I was reminded of that this morning. Uh, we're, uh, we're doing a series called Reset. So if you are new with us or haven't been with us for a little while, we're doing a series called Reset, getting ready for the year ahead You know, it's always exciting to start a new season, and last week we were in Psalm 90, and this week we're going to be in Isaiah 43. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there to Isaiah 43. Uh, But the whole heart of this and the whole idea is just we want to get our hearts in line with the Lord. We want to get in step with Him. We want to get reset. Some of us are doing the 40 days of prayer. Uh, Some of us are doing various things with uh, fasting. Uh, the, whole, the whole spirit of this is that we want to cultivate a sense of spiritual hunger. We know what it is like to be spiritually hungry, many of us. Uh, we also know what it's like to sort of be spiritually apathetic. And so we're asking the Lord to awaken some spiritual hunger in us. I made a mistake. I brought this little thing up here with me. I was like sucking on a thing. This is a bad idea. I'm just going to set it right there. Don't come up and get it later. It's going to be nasty. Okay, but anyway, I feel better now. It's not in my mouth. Uh, so we're doing some different things. We're asking to, to cultivate spiritual hunger. We're inviting the favor or the delight of the Lord. Little, little word study over here. Uh, and and this, is a, this is a precious season, a precious time for us to be getting ourselves uh, ready to go. And so last week we were looking at sort of four words, remember, rejoice, repent, resolve, kind of set it against this backdrop of the prayer of Moses in Psalm 90. And one of the things that I ask you to to think about when you remember, like remember the provision of God, remember the protection of God, remember the times that you spend in his presence. And I, I I was given a couple of examples for each of those different things and specifically saying that, you know, the protection of God is a real thing. The very next morning after preaching that to you, uh, we were getting ready to do all of our Monday morning routine stuff. I'm getting off to work. I'm driving my one son to school. Uh, my wife called me. I only had left the house a minute before, and she said, you need to get home. Uh, Max cut his finger. He was doing a thing, and he sliced it pretty bad, probably should go to the ER. He had to get 11 stitches, so I went home and got him picked up there and everything. And I actually thought about bringing a picture, and then I thought, eh, some of you probably would not appreciate that as much as others. Uh, but yeah, talk to Max. He can show you, show you a picture whatever. Um, but here was the thing that kind of caught my attention. So we, we got into our week that, you know, was a little bit of a disruption, obviously, and get the kid patched up, sewed up, and everything like that. 
And we had to do some traveling this week, so we were doing a funeral out uh, in Pittsburgh, and then we came back, and on Thursday, the, the cut was significant enough that the doctor that treated him said, I actually would like him to see a, a hand surgeon, uh, just to make sure in case there's something, more, mostly just precautionary, but we just want to make sure that he didn't cut some tendons or something like that. So he did that. So that and and I, was a little, I was a little apprehensive. You know, it's just as a parent, you just never stop being a parent. So it's like you care about your kids, you want them to be well, and you don't want your kid to have a finger that doesn't work or whatever. So... Uh, he goes in for this, uh, this meeting, this appointment. Amy takes him in. And the surgeon says to Amy and Max, like, if I had cut your finger, like, doing surgery, I would have cut it almost exactly where you cut it accidentally. Uh, because where you cut it accidentally, it, it just, just missed all of the important stuff, the tendons and the arteries and the things like that or whatever. So, so when I heard that, I said, you know, we should thank the Lord for his protection. Uh, we should thank the Lord, because, and we did. You know, we just said, Lord, thanks for walking, watching over us. So sometimes within 24 hours of talking about protection and the Lord doing some things, he, he shows up in a, in a little special way. And I share that with you this morning with the understanding that not all circumstances work out like that. You know, there are circumstances where it's like, oh, this didn't go as we had hoped. This wasn't kind of the perfect place to have that accident or whatever. And I'm going to actually address that in today's message somewhat. But I thought that was important just to give thanks to the Lord for the good work that he has done. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like us to look at Isaiah 43 together. The section actually begins in verse 16, where, where God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, and he says, this is what the Lord says, and he's talking about the things that he has done, making his way through the sea and the path through the mighty waters. He drew out the chariots and the horses, the army reinforcements together, and how he, he extinguished the enemies of God's people. And this, of course, is a reference to the Exodus and specifically the, the crossing of the Red Sea. After that, the passage where we'll actually pick up today begins in verse 18, and these are the words that God says through Isaiah to his people. And so let's just read them together, 18 to 21. It's a short passage that we'll preach today. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Verse 20 says, The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Thus says the Lord. May God add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. It's a short passage, but man, there's a lot of stuff that is in there. One of the things that I want to do is just make a few observations with you, and then we're going to look at a few specific points together from this that I believe by God's grace will help us to kind of reset well. You know, all of these early weeks of the year, the, the hope is to kind of call you to that place of commitment, to get your, your year ready, to get your heart ready, to get yourself in step with the work that God wants to do for you. Because we don't believe that the work that God wants to do all happens up here. The work that God wants to do happens all the various places where he is sending you throughout the week and all the various things that he's going to do for you and in you and around you this year. So here's a couple just practical things that I would observe for this. There is this idea, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past, see I am doing a new thing, a new thing. Do you know that it is impossible 
to be a movement person who walks in the spirit and with the Lord if you're not willing to change and embrace a new thing. Somebody say amen to that. I mean, it's just part of it. A lot of us, some of us love change, some of us hate change, some of us are somewhere in the middle. But the fact of the matter is, God is a God who does new things. So over the last probably five years, one of the things that has resonated very deeply with me, when I think about the, like the content of our, context of our church, what's God doing, what's God doing in this region, one of the things that I've really sensed the Holy Spirit saying again is we have to be a movement people. And the contrast to that, as I have preached to you, is we can't be monument builders. You know, this idea of like, we're just gonna kind of get our way of doing things or we're gonna embrace this thing that God did once back in the day and, and we're just gonna just try to hold on to that thing. He says, no, I want, you to, I want you to embrace this idea of a new thing that I wanna do. So we gotta be monument people or movement people, not monument builders. Uh, new things almost always means change. It almost always means change. Our God is a God of new things. So that years ago, Blackaby wrote his devotional, Henry Blackaby, and he, and he said very simply, but I think profoundly, you cannot stay where you are and go with God, right? I mean, it's just like, you can't stay where you are and go with God. If you're gonna go where, if you're gonna go with God and move with him, you're gonna have to experience some change. And we understand that God is a God who will often press us beyond our comfort zone. So this whole idea, behold, I'm doing a new thing. I just wanna kind of set the stage by saying, while that is a very profoundly good news statement for us, it takes a little bit of work to get our hearts and our minds in step with what will it take for us to follow God in the new thing that he wants to do. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. That's the question, okay. Now let me make it very practical to you. Uh, this, over this last year, I'm, I'm, first of all, I like things to stay sort of how they are. Like, I don't, I don't prefer change. Like, hey, we got this thing organized. It was working well. It's going, let's just keep it rolling now. So I'm, I'm not a big fan of just change and certainly change for the sake of change. Uh, earlier this year, uh, one of my staff members, uh, Dan Min, uh, came to me and he said, Aaron, we're uh, approaching 10 years that we're gonna be have, having served uh, at ACF, which is Lions Christian Fellowship at, at uh, Penn State. And he said, Nicole and I have been talking and we've been praying and we think that this is probably gonna be, we're gonna be going into our last year and that's the year that they're in now. And so I said, well, no, you're not allowed to leave. Gotta keep it how it is. No, we said, we began to pray. We started asking the Lord, okay, if, if you're ending a season and you're gonna begin a new season, what's, what's that thing gonna look like? And so I'm actually sharing this with you today for a very practical reason. I, I want you to, as a church, to be mobilized to really pray into, pray for our campus ministry. They're actually, they have been making uh, this public with different groups of people. Their leaders are in the loop, adult leaders are in the loop. Today, even probably now, as, we're, as they're gathering, Pastor Dan is sharing with the full Sunday assembly that this change is actually gonna be happening uh, at the end of this year. So that's a major transition. That's a change, but it's also a new thing. So I wanna invite you to, to pray about that. And one thing, in case you're wondering, uh, Dan and Nicole, Amy and I have had many conversations. Our elder board has been in the loop, and we believe that the Lord is actually opening up an opportunity for Dan to be actually with us here, which is pretty cool. So he's leaving, but not going very far. Uh, and so we're gonna bring that to our membership at the, at the membership meeting at the end of February. So we're excited to bring that. But all of this is a, in a very practical way. It's not theory when God says, I'm doing a new thing. And he's doing new things all the time. 
The question that we need to wrestle with is what the prophet Isaiah asked. Do you perceive it? What does it mean for you to see what God is doing and to understand what God is doing? So please pray for all of that. We're excited to see what God's gonna do. So we get to the end of last year and um, I'm reading a devotional by a guy named Pete Grigg and he actually references this Isaiah 43 passage. And, and he's, re- he's wrestling with the question in this devotion about like, how, what does it mean for us to perceive it? Like, why does the prophet Isaiah ask us that question? God says, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? What would it take for us to do that, to perceive well? And so uh, he wrote these three things down, just giving credit where credit's due. He says, you know, it seems like we need to have, or at least pray for, eyes to perceive, a heart to believe, And then he said this one too, hands to receive. And all of this just resonated so deeply in my heart with sort of what I, where I've been going and what the Lord's been teaching me and even some of the things I was getting ready to preach to you guys. So I'm gonna bring this message to you kind of in that context. The first part being eyes to perceive. Verse 19, see I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? That's the question. What does it mean to have eyes to perceive what God is doing? Now, a little bit of context for you would probably be helpful here in case you don't know. Uh, The prophet Isaiah is speaking to God's people. They are not in a good place. Uh, God's people are in exile, specifically in Babylon. Many of them are wondering, are we forgotten? Are we ever gonna have normal life again? Are we gonna get to go home? You know, all of these kind of things are probably on their mind. And so this word must come to them with some level of hopefulness. Do you see, I am doing a new thing. Now it's, it's spring up, springing up. Do you not perceive it? And I would suggest to you today that it's precisely when times are darkest that this promise actually rings out. So I used an example earlier to say, wow, we we came to a place of saying, Lord, thank you that that particular circumstance worked out almost as best as it could have. But what happens when I'm in the circumstances that aren't working out to what I think is the best that they should? It's in those dark places, it is in the wilderness, it is in the wasteland that this promise comes. God has been faithful and God isn't done. That's the message. Now, we said just a few minutes ago that we have a God who is a God of the new. He loves to do new things. And when you look at some of these verses, I'll just put this up on the screen for you. You can take a snapshot of it and look at them later on. Uh, Isaiah 43, we're reading today. Remember not the former things or consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Isaiah 65, behold, I create new heavens and new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Ephesians 2.15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he would what? Create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace. Ephesians 4.24, put on the new self created after the likeness of God. Hebrews 8.13 says, in speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. In Revelation 21.5, this is one of my favorite new verse passages, Simply the risen Christ saying, behold, I make all things, what? New. Now think about the importance of that promise. When you are in the wilderness and you are in the wasteland and the promise has come, but it's not come to fruition yet, you're gonna spend a fair amount of your journey with Jesus in that place. 
right? So I love it when things just kind of come together. When God gives quick answers to prayer, how many of you like quick answers to prayer? You know, God's just like, you asked, I responded, boom, boom, you know, end of thing. But then there's other things that you've prayed for. There's people in this church, you've been praying for 20 years. You've been praying for 30 years. You've been asking the Lord, and it feels very much like a wilderness situation when you are there. How many of you have an unanswered prayer thing that you've been, you've been wrestling with for some time? Just, just know that you're not alone, okay? You look around this place. What does this mean for us? It's precisely when those times are the darkest that this promise rings out. And the ultimate fulfillment The Bible literally comes to its conclusion with the risen Christ saying, behold, I'm making all things new. That means that the struggle that you're going through right now, the loss that you're experiencing, all of this is very real stuff. This is really hard stuff. I just preached at a funeral this last last week, right? Amy's grandmother lived to be 98 and a half years old. We decided we have to give her the half year. She made it that far, you know what I'm saying? She loved Jesus and she was ready to go home and be with the Lord, but she went through some hard stuff in her life. You know, she was not exempt from trial. She was not exempt from tribulations or whatever. And then I'm thinking about like what Paul says. He goes, you know, yeah, these light and momentary trials or tribulations. Light and momentary. What's he talking about? He's talking about the reality of his trials in the reality in the contrast with the promise. And the one who says, I'm gonna make everything new. I'm gonna, like, there's not a thing in your life that you have experienced, not a loss, not a hardship, not a difficulty or whatever, that he is not able to make new. I'd like you to just reflect on that for just a moment. Because the question is this, when he says to his people, I'm doing a new thing, springs up, do you not perceive it? And some of us, maybe, that's a, maybe this is a New Year's prayer for some of us to say, God, I need eyes to perceive where, where you're at work. Because right now, I don't see it. I asked this in the first service. I said, like, how many of you have been in a place where you just said, I, I don't have any idea what God is doing here? And everybody was, like, really shy. They were like, mm. you know, everybody like, starts looking around, like, Like, no, that is a normal part of following Christ. There are gonna be times, if you're not in one now, you will experience it where you say, I don't know what God's doing. So what do we say? God, give me eyes to perceive where you're at work. The question I would ask us to consider here is this. Are we looking to see what God is doing now? God who is at work around us, do we have eyes to see it? Do we cling to that which is familiar? Are we afraid or fearful of change Because all of that can stand in the way of saying, wait a minute, God's doing a new thing. You gotta learn to perceive it. You gotta ask him for eyes to help you see it. So that's number one. The second one is this. You have to have a heart to believe it. Interestingly, in 19, the second part of verse 19, he says, I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. This is, again, this is the faith challenge part. You know, we have to have a heart that can believe that God will, in fact, make things new even when all the things around us don't look like they're working out in the right direction. But he also says this. He says, do not dwell on the past. That catches my attention. It's verse 18. Don't dwell on the past. Dwell is an interesting word. Dwell is like, don't make your residence there. Or we might say it in our modern day. We said, don't live in the past. You know what I'm saying? What does that mean for us? And this is profound. Give us a heart to believe. Why? Because you are not bound by the brokenness in your past. 
That's the first thing that I could see in this. The second thing is you're not, to called, you're not called to live in the glory days of yesteryear. So think about this. Have a heart to believe. Don't dwell in the past, verse 18 says. You are not bound by the brokenness of your past. That means you actually have the tools in Christ, in the new covenant, that forgiveness comes through repentance, that healing comes through confession, that freedom comes through forgiving others. And none of these things are easy, but all of them are good. God's actually given us the tools so that we don't have to be bound by the brokenness of our past. Not something that's been done to us, not something that is a mistake that we have made, not an accusation that the enemy comes again and again and again with. I love that old quip that people said, when the enemy reminds you of your past, you remind him of, your, of his future, and you keep going. You do not have to be bound by the brokenness of your past. And you're not called to live in the glory days of yesteryear. Now, it would have been crazy for, for, the, for the people of God to be like, oh, yeah, this is so great, you know, just remembering all of these great things. We tend to have like a very romanticized view of what happened before, right? And you talk to anybody about their glory days or whatever, all of us seem to have a little bit of this Uncle Rico kind of view, you know. Back in 82, you know, I could throw a pigskin a quarter mile, you know, all that. I, I love that character, but he's really a very sad character if you've seen Napoleon Dynamite. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Anyway, you kind of look at him, you go, oh, that's like, mm, this is kind of, it's kind of sad. Living the glory days, trying to. I had a volleyball uh, captain on our team. He would give us these speeches before we would go out to play our high school volleyball games, and, and he, would, he would say, you know, we're not gonna do this, we're not gonna do this, and, and he loved to say, he would say like, we are not gonna rest on our laurels. We are not gonna rest on our laurels. He'd look at you in the face. You, we're not gonna rest on our laurels. And finally I said to him, Jason, do you even know what laurels are? And he goes, I don't know what they are, but we are not gonna rest on them. <laughs> it's great. In case you're wondering, that phrase, I mean, you know what the phrase means. We're not gonna just rely on our past success or whatever. Uh, the phrase actually comes from the ancient Greek and Hebrew societies where literally high-ranking and high-achieving people were awarded crowns made from laurel leaves. And so this whole idea of like marking their accomplishments and so like you rest rest on your laurels. That's where that phrase comes from. So in case you want to pump somebody up and tell them not to rest on their laurels, you can at least know what it is. I sense that God would say through the prophet Isaiah something like this. You've got to learn from your past. You don't want to keep making the same mistakes again and again. Right? That's the, that's the pattern we get ourselves in. You don't want to, you don't want to you don't want to miss out on the opportunity to learn. You want to improve from the past, but you don't want to dwell there. You don't want to live there. And I think that maybe the best kind of posturing of this comes from Paul in Philippians 3, which is the prayer that we read here just a little bit ago. Uh, Forgetting what is behind, I press on toward the goal. And the goal for Paul was, I, I want to know Christ. I want to know who he is. I want everything that he has for me, I want to go after that. This is a, a heart to believe that my past is not gonna limit what God has for me in my future. It's also a faith challenge because the location of the work that God is doing, it's not exclusively, but it is often in the wilderness and it is often in the wasteland. Uh, there's an author by the name of Parker Palmer. Um, I appreciate him a lot. I don't agree with everything that he writes, but I like learning from people that I don't, that don't think like me, you know? So uh, he's, a, he's an interesting guy. Uh, I've appreciated him very deeply. And he uses this metaphor. He talks about before you get to the new life 
of late spring. Some of you are probably ready for that now on a cold morning like this. Before you get to the new life of late spring, you have to navigate some pretty tough seasons. And so the metaphor seasons in life as he's talking about it, you know, in the fall is a season of, of death ultimately. I mean, it's beautiful for a while, but things are dying off. In the winter, the land has a barren sort of clarity to it. He says in the early spring, he said the reality is early spring is plug ugly. And he describes it that way. He said, you can walk through a field and the mud will suck the boots right off of your feet. That's, the, that's what you get in early spring. But it is through these seasons that feel barren that we actually move into the late spring and the abundance of summer. It's all part of this cycle. We reap the benefits in the seasons where the seeds were sown and germinated through the dead months where we couldn't see life. So the faith challenge is this. If you're in the wilderness today, do you have a heart to believe that God actually could do a new thing? that the wilderness that you are experiencing right now does not have to be the end of the story. That's kind of the, the faith question that we grapple with. And I wanna just give you one more today. Uh, the last one is, is hands to receive. So eyes to perceive and a heart to believe and, and then finally hands to receive. Um, when you look at this passage, it actually begins, verse 16 and 17, it's all about the stuff that God's already done. It's all about his finished work. It's all about his deliverance. It's all about his provision. It's all about his protection. And so the question is now, I'm gonna do a new thing. Do you perceive it? But essentially the question comes down to this, are you able to receive it? You see, friends, it's out of God's protection and out of God's provision and out of God's presence that we do and we move and we minister. It's out of his protection and his provision and presence that we serve and we worship and we pray and we give. And this has actually been one of the biggest changes in my life in the last five years is that, and frankly, it was arrogance. I didn't know it was arrogance, but it was arrogance that I didn't think I needed to receive. Think about this. You're just called to do. You gotta be a student. You gotta be a father. You gotta be a mom. You gotta be a good kid. You gotta, be, you gotta do all of these things, but you gotta receive something first before you're ready. Just started changing my whole life. So I started thinking about this. You see it all through scripture. When somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they don't, you don't decide to be a Christ follower. And you certainly don't decide to be a good person, right? What you do is you respond to the work that has already been done. That's what we talk about. We celebrate the finished work of Jesus, the broken body, the shed blood, the cross, and the empty tomb, and all that he's already done for us. When you come to faith in Christ, you are receiving. Say receive. receive. Yeah, you are receiving the finished work that he's already done. And it goes on in a lot of different ways. You don't just worship because you think, well, I like to sing, right? When you worship, you are actually receiving first the presence and the promises of God, and then in your heart, you're responding, and some of you already have done this today, right? You're responding back to him with a heart that's fully alive with his presence and his promises. When you give, you certainly don't give out of something that you don't have. You have to receive first, and then you live in generosity after that. The biggest place that I found this was in the area of prayer. I didn't know how to pray with a spirit of receiving. You know, I gotta have hands to receive. So I, I began probably four or five years ago. I, I've preached a lot of sermons in particular in the last five years. I, I don't think there has been one 
where I have not been up very early in the morning and primarily with hands open saying, Jesus, if you don't provide, if you don't give, if you don't download, if you don't do the stuff that you want to do, if you don't show up, we don't have anything. See, that's the spirit of receiving. And so, you know, God opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. I wonder if maybe for some of you, just that, that, that hands to receive posture would be just the kind of level of humility that God is looking for. Because he actually loves to give good gifts to his children. If I could go off script just a little bit, if you remember what Jesus said, he says to these people, he says, um, you know, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, and then listen to what he says here. He doesn't just say, well, how much more will the Holy Father give good gifts? He says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Some of us are really tired. You're starting the year off really tired. I feel tired sometimes. I, I, I empathize with you. But oftentimes I'm tired because I don't know how to receive. I'm trying to give something that I haven't received. So that's where I'm kind of starting and resetting some things in my life in this year. I trust that you will as well. So I'm praying about this. And let me just give one other quick example. John 3, 27 John's disciples come to him and they're saying like, hey, what's this new Messiah guy? What's he doing? He's baptizing all these people. He's doing all this stuff. And, um, and John says to, to them, like, no, it's a good thing. He says, you know, I already said to you, I'm not the Messiah. I, I was sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. He goes on to this and he says, he's got to become greater. I've got to become less. That whole passage is really beautiful in John 3. But in, in, in 27, verse 27 of John 3, he says this. He says, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Think about that. You can receive only what is given you from heaven. So why don't we pray with hands to receive? At least a little bit more. I say, Lord, I need some wisdom. Lord, I need some strength. Lord, I need some patience. Somebody say amen. Yeah, some of it's your fault. Anyway, anyway, we'll move on. It's good. We have hands to receive. Uh, one last example of this, and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Um, thanks for being patient here today. Uh, I shared this at a living water service several years ago, but I was, I was wrestling with this whole idea of, of receiving, and I was, I was kind of learning some of this stuff in prayer. And um, I, I was just meeting with the Lord, just trying to have a little private worship and uh, lifting up Jesus' name and, and everything. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit just stopped me and say, like, no, stop. Stop what you're doing. I was like, all right. And I, I sensed the Holy Spirit say to my heart, you haven't received yet. You haven't received yet. Like, you're, you, what do you mean you're going you're gonna to worship? You're going to just decide. You've got to receive first. And it was just a, it was not a rebuke. It was actually just a, a very loving thing. And then immediately I had this image in my mind. And the image was uh, playing volleyball with my finger cutting son, Max. That's just so you know who I'm talking about. Uh, this was years ago before he, you know, sliced himself up last week. But we would, we were, he was learning volleyball. So we would go in the, in the driveway and, and I played volleyball in high school and stuff. So we would, we would play together and I'm teaching him. And, and so we would pepper together. How many of you know what I mean by that? Right? It's like two, two people back and forth. And so I set to you and you hit to me and then I dig it up to you and then you set it to me and I'll hit it back at you. And so we were doing this thing. So that, that image immediately came to my mind. So I was hearing the Lord say, you have to learn to receive. 
And it was such a beautiful image, why? Because it wasn't just like two people doing a thing. This is like a father and a son who are being together, who are giving and receiving and, and doing this sort of interdependent thing that really was quite, quite beautiful. And, and I think, you know, it's not that God needs us. I just think he loves to share his work with us. And that's part of the receiving that we do. And so, so in that moment, you know, I was just able to say, okay, Lord, well then help me to receive. Help me to receive. And I've been praying that for the last probably five years. Lord, help me to receive. Because I'm more convinced now than I ever have been before that if I don't receive, I have really nothing to give. So I want to encourage you to have eyes to perceive what God's doing, to have a heart to believe what God's doing, to have hands to receive what God's doing. And the worship team, you guys can come up. Uh, We're going to wrap up with this, but I just want to do two things. I just want to read this scripture over you as a blessing. And in fact, I'm going to ask if you would stand now as we uh, as we do that. And then I'm just going to invite you to a to a a simple sort of prayer response um, that we'll do as we as we wrap up. So, team, you guys can get assembled and get ready to go. Would you just receive this? I'm just going to read the scripture over you again. If you just kind of quiet your heart a little bit and maybe even begin to, you can begin even now, you know, to start praying. Lord, give me eyes to see. Give me a heart to believe. Give me hands to receive. Um, This is the scripture we've looked at today. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland. I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. So I was up early this morning and thinking about this service and thinking about you guys and praying for this time, for this moment right now. And um, I kind of sensed the Holy Spirit say, I want to give somebody a drink today. (laughs) I want to give somebody a drink today. Because some of you are dried up and you need just a little refreshing work of the Holy Spirit. And the posture that I would love for us to close in this last song is actually not a passive one. It's not a sort of sit here and see what, you know, God wants to do or not do or whatever. But it, it it is a stepping forward posture. And even right now while I'm talking, I, I want to invite every single person to begin to, to walk forward, to come in here, into this space right here. That as a church, as we come, that's, that means you. Come on, let's just come, come, come. Um, that we would actually sing this song together and pray together as a declaration. And you can kneel and you can stand. You can sit on the front rows or whatever, you know, whatever you want. Uh, it'll be crowded, so just make a little bit of space and kind of come in. But I, I just was thinking, like, what a, what a great posture that is. You know what I mean? Like a whole congregation of people that would say, like, Lord, we want to have eyes to see what you're doing. Lord, we want to have faith to believe what you're doing. And we want to have hands to receive what you're doing. And that might be the extent of your prayer today, right? That might be all that you say. Lord, just give me eyes to see, hands to receive, right? Heart to believe. As a church, we kind of say that together. Mrs. Wakeley, I'm glad that you're up here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thanks for making the trip. 
That's good. So Father, I wanna just ask that as we sing this song of declaration that you would meet us. And I, I do sense that you're saying, I just wanna give somebody a drink today. Just a little refreshing work of the Holy Spirit. Some of us just, we're coming, Lord, with open hands. Some of us so hungry, Lord, we just saying, Lord, we just, we just need you so much. I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. It's springing up. Do you not perceive it? So Lord, let the posture of our heart as we begin these first weeks of 2024 be to say that we are eager to see the work that you desire to do. And we receive it. In Jesus' name we pray.